Welcome to Sports History 101, a production of the Saints Sports Network. Hello and welcome in to this episode of Sports History 101. I am your host, Ray Delgado. In this edition, we'll be talking about something that I think is really exciting, really fun. The subject is the 1969 New York Mets. To go back a little bit, the New York Metropolitans began play in the 1962 season alongside the Houston Colt 45s in Major League Baseball. As you know, the Houston team is no longer called that. They renamed the Astros a few years later, but they started off as the Colt 45s. The addition of those two teams was the second part of an expansion plan that added both the Washington Senators and Los Angeles Angels the year before in 1961. So the Mets began playing in 1962, and the early years were rough. In the first year of play, they set a modern era record by losing 120 games. The only team I think ever to lose more than 120 games was 121 games, and I believe it was in 1899. So really not the same style of baseball. And the Mets still to this day hold that record. That really set the tone for the next six years as the losses continued to mount and the wins were few and far between. From 1962 to 68, the Mets compiled 394 wins and 737 losses. Of those seasons, five of them, they had 100 or more losses. Bad teams. For the people who don't necessarily follow baseball, a good benchmark is a 100-loss team is a bad team, and they, in their first six years of existence, did that five times. Needless to say, the team was bad and was a laughingstock in New York, especially when put up against the New York Yankees. The Yankees weren't great at that time either, but they had the pedigree, and they were far better in basically all aspects. The manager for the Mets from the beginning was Casey Stengel. Stengel was a player from 1912 to 1925 and won a World Series with the New York Giants in 1922. After retiring from baseball, he took time off until the 1934 season when he became the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. In the succeeding years, Stengel would win seven World Series and be inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1966. After heading up the New York Yankees for 11 years, he jumped ship to the Crosstown expansion team, the New York Mets. It's definitely worth noting here that Stengel is a Hall of Fame manager, but he was well into the back end of his career by the time he took over the Mets. And as such, it was Stengel who was at the top of the step of the dugout as the Mets finished dead last in his first three seasons. And in his fourth season, he only managed 96 games before he was cut loose by management. However, amid those poor performances, some of the pieces started to fall into place for the team. The Mets made a great signing in 1963 acquiring Cleon Jones, who had a a rough first few years with the organization, but became an everyday player 
by 1966. Jerry Kuzman was signed in 1964 and became a workhorse star starting pitcher by 1968. The amateur draft, the June draft that there is now in baseball, was introduced in 1965. And because of their very poor play, the Mets earned the second pick in the draft and chose Les Rohr, a pitcher from England, actually. And he would not pan out. So they whiffed on their second pick in the very first ever draft. However, later on, they were able to pick up Ken Boswell in the fourth round and Nolan Ryan in the 12th round. Nolan Ryan should ring a bell for you. We actually did an episode on Nolan Ryan before. Check that out. You can learn quite a bit more about the all-time Major League Baseball strikeouts leader. But anyway, the next season, in 1966, the Mets had fortune on their side. In 1965, Tom Seaver was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 10th round, but decided not to sign and go back to USC, the University of Southern California, for another year. In January of 1966, there was a draft for players who had already once been drafted but didn't sign. So, Seaver was drafted in 65, therefore he was put in, and he didn't sign, and therefore he was put into this January draft. In that draft, Seaver was selected 20th overall by the Atlanta Braves. However, after the draft concluded, and Seaver signed his contract in late February, the contract was voided, because the Braves broke the rule that a high school or college player could not sign a contract once their season had begun. Well, everywhere else in the country, late February is not baseball season, but USC, University of Southern California, their season had begun, and Seaver was now a free agent. Because of the unique situation, all teams, excluding the Braves, who were interested in Seaver could submit a bid of $40,000, which was the Braves' original signing bonus that they were going to give to Seaver. And the winner of the teams who put in that bid would be chosen at random. While the Cleveland Indians, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the New York Mets all put in bids, and after drawing out of a hat, yes, literally drawing out of a hat, and having... Tom Seaver on the phone while they were doing this. Seaver was now the property of the New York Mets. A signing that would turn out to be huge for the club. In 1967, the team made another big acquisition. Trading with the Chicago White Sox to bring in center fielder Tom Agee. Agee had won the American League Rookie of the Year award as well as a gold glove in 1966. And while regressing some, he had a solid 1967 campaign. He went over to the Mets in December of 1967 and became the starting center fielder from the 68 season on. Under new direction for the fourth time 
in the franchise's young history. Gil Hodges took over in 1968 and immediately changed the culture of the organization. Hodges brought a new atmosphere to the team as well as a new strategy. He was tough but fair with his players, which gave them structure and led to respect from both sides. The manager wanted to platoon players so as to get the most talent out of his roster. To go a little bit deeper into that, platooning in baseball more or less means that two players share one position for the season. Usually, it's a right-handed batter and a left-handed batter that both play third base, for example. On average, the right-handed batter will hit left-handed pitching better and vice versa for the left-handed batter. This is usually because batters can generally see the ball easier when it is thrown by an opposite-handed pitcher. So most managers use this method on a small scale, platooning batters here and there um, against specific pitchers and things like that. But Gil Hodges put it to great use and used it all throughout the 68 season to much success. The Mets improved that year by 12 games from the year before to finish 73 and 89 and only 24 games out of the top spot in the National League, which still sounds like a lot. But the year before, they finished 40 and a half out of the top spot. So a fantastic improvement. It was not a great record overall and still second to last in the league, but it meant that there was hope for this team after all. Hope that would come to fruition in 1969 which we will discuss after a quick break. Nineteen sixty nine was expected to be more of the same for the Mets. With the addition of four new teams to Major League Baseball, each league was broken up into two divisions, with the Mets becoming a part of the National League East, along with the newly formed Montreal Expos a team that the Mets were picked by many to finish behind. New York did not plead its case very well in the season opener, falling to Montreal 11-10, really making way for those predictions to really take hold. 40 games into the season, the Mets were middle of the road at best at 18-22 and and already nine games out of first place in their new six-team division. Despite their record, the team was starting to click and their talent began to show through, as from May 28th to June 10th, the team would reel off 11 straight victories, vaulting them to second in the division behind the powerhouse Chicago Cubs team. Once that streak ended, the team continued to win on a consistent basis, climbing 14 games over 500 which is even for those who are not familiar, 14 games over 500 with a win over Montreal to close out the first half of the season. Their platoon plans were working once again, and the rotation was holding their own, as well as the bullpen who could pick up the pieces whenever necessary. The Mets were winning. Unfortunately, no one really paid much attention as the Cubs were comfortably leading the division 
and had multiple stars in their lineup and rotation that garnered a lot more attention. Nevertheless, New York kept their wits about them and continued to win games. At the end of the day, that's all you can do, continue to win games. From August 16th to September 13th, almost a month, the team went 26-6, and bringing them from down 10 games to up 3.5 games over Chicago. A 13.5 game swing, which is huge in one month. Chicago was 61-37 and at the All-Star break and looked like they would cruise to victory in the National League East in the second half. Buoyed by their fantastic start, the Cubs maintained their first place standing from the beginning of the season all the way to game 143. The team would close out the second half with 31 wins and 33 losses to finish second in the division with 92 wins. Meanwhile, the Mets kept winning, handing Chicago a number of losses and carrying a nine-game win streak to the final game of the season. When everything was said and done, New York closed out the year 162, a 27-game turnaround from the season prior. The New York Mets clinched their postseason spot on September 24th in their final home game of the season versus the St. Louis Cardinals. When the final out was made, the stadium absolutely exploded. While the players celebrated in their clubhouse, the fans overran the field, stealing home plate and two of the three bases. They also started to grab handfuls of the outfield turf, ripping it out of the ground to take home and remember the historic day in which the Mets finally found success. The team was led by pitchers Tom Seaver and Jerry Kuzman. Seaver made 35 starts, winning a Major League Baseball high 25 games and losing just seven in 273 innings. He pitched 18 complete games, five of which were shutouts, and route to a 2.21 ERA and 200 plus strikeouts good enough to win the Cy Young Award and finish second in most valuable player MVP voting, most certainly earning his nickname, Terrific Tom. Close behind him was Kuzman, who made 32 starts, picking up 17 wins across 241 innings. Kuzman tallied a 2.28 ERA, just 0.07 0.07 off of Seaver with six complete 16 excuse me complete games and six shutouts. The team was fortunate to have three other regular starters that all made at least 21 starts, the best of the trio being Gary Gentry, who made 35 starts himself. Nolan Ryan was limited by a groin issue and service in the Army Reserve holding him to just 10 starts and 25 total appearances, but he was still an important part of the team. Ryan, along with Tug McGraw and Ron Taylor, were two more than capable relievers 
that appeared in 101 games combined, accounting for 176 innings. It's a lot of innings for just two relievers. While pitching was the team's strong suit, the Gil Hodges platooning strategy worked out perfectly. New York had 11 players appear in more than 100 games, with just center, center fielder Tommy Agee and left fielder Cleon Jones playing in more than 137 games. Of those 11 players, four were right-handers, four were lefties, and three were switch hitters, a manager's dream if he wants to platoon. You have basically every option at your fingertips. Cleon Jones topped the team with a 340 batting average, 25 doubles, 75 runs batted in, and 16 stolen bases. He was named an all-star for the first time and finished seventh in MVP voting in the National League. A.G. played in all but 13 games for the season, clubbing 26 home runs, tallying 76 RBI and 12 stolen bases. His efforts led to a sixth place MVP finish. The Mets offense as a whole was largely average to below average in, in honesty. The team scored 3.9 runs per game, which was ninth in the National League, but managed to make it work as the pitching staff excelled all season. Regardless of the statistics, what the Mets and Gil Hodges were doing was working. The team managed to overrun multiple more talented teams on paper to stamp their ticket to the postseason and get a date with Hank Aaron and the Atlanta Braves. More on that when we get back. With the restructuring of the leagues into multiple divisions, for the first time ever, there was a playoff series between the two division winners in the National League and the American League to determine who would play for the World Series. In the first National League Championship Series, the New York Mets faced off with the Atlanta Braves. The Braves were a hard-hitting team that had Hank Aaron, who at 35 years old, hit 300 with 44 home runs, along with Orlando Cepeda, who drove in 88 and 22 home runs. Ironically for the Mets, their starting rotation faltered in the playoffs, but their offense caught fire. Tom Seaver squared off with Phil Necro in Game 1 on October 4th, and both starters had a tough time. Seaver made it through seven innings, but gave up five runs on eight hits, two of those being home runs. Necro ran into a platoon that had his number. Art Shamsky and Wayne Garrett combined for five hits. Four players tallied RBIs for the contest and scored five runs in the eighth inning to force Necro out. Each team collected 10 hits apiece, but the Mets scored four more runs to take the series lead with a 9-5 win. Jerry Kuzman had a rough go of it in Game 2 as well, as the Braves' bats came alive in the 4th and 5th innings to chase Kuzman after 4 and 2 thirds innings and 6 runs. However, 
a New York offense came up big again, scoring at least one run in each of the first five innings. The top four hitters in the lineup accounted for 10 hits. Shamsky tallied three hits for the second game of the series. Cleon Jones had three hits himself, driving in three runs and drawing a walk. After chasing the Braves starter in the second inning, Atlanta had to trot out five more arms before the game relented and the Mets won 11-6. Down to what could be the last game of the five-game series, New York welcomed the Braves and 54,000 fans into Shea Stadium. Atlanta came out swinging and scored two runs in the first inning off of Mets starter Gary Gentry. They threatened once again in the third inning, forcing Hodges to go to his pen way early at this time and bring out the young Texan, Nolan Ryan. Ryan only allowed three hits for the remainder of the game, striking out seven to cover the final seven innings of the game. Meanwhile, the New York offense showed up once again as the top of the order delivered over and over to lead the offense to plate seven runs and down the Braves. The New York Mets would complete the series sweep with a 7-4 win and advance to the World Series as the underdogs, huge underdogs, to the Goliath Baltimore Orioles of the American League. Game 1 of the World Series was to be played on October 11th at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Baltimore was at the top of nearly every offensive category for the season, trailing only the Minnesota Twins, who they swept in the American League Championship Series. The Orioles were also strong on the pitching side, leading the American League with a 2.83 team ERA, also allowing the fewest hits, runs, home runs, and walks. So basically leading everything. The opening game of the Fall Classic was a duel of the best pitchers in the game. Tom Seaver and Mike Cuellar, both the Cy Young Award winners. Baltimore jumped out to a first inning lead as Don Buford blasted a leadoff home run. Cuellar was dealing as New York managed just one hit through the first six innings. Meanwhile, the Orioles broke through once again in the fourth inning, scoring three more runs. The Mets were finally able to push across a run in the seventh inning on an Al Weiss sacrifice fly, giving them one run. That would close the book on the Mets scoring as Cuellar went the distance, allowing just six hits and striking out eight in the 4-1 Baltimore victory. The next day featured just as great a matchup. Kuzman of the Mets versus Dave McNally, an all-star who finished fourth in the Cy Young voting for the Orioles. The game was scoreless through three innings before the Mets struck first with a solo home run from Don Clendenin. Tough name to say, Clendenin, in the top of the fourth. Kuzman was stellar holding the mighty Orioles hitless through six innings 
and allowing just one base runner in that time. Paul Blair led off the seventh inning, and with Baltimore's first hit, he then stole second and then was knocked in off a Brooks Robinson single to tie the game at 1-1. to McNally for the Orioles went into the ninth inning, allowing just one run and three hits. And that all changed as Ed Charles and Jerry Grote singled to put runners at first and third. Al Weiss, who had already accounted for one hit and a walk, stepped into the box and, lo and behold, dropped a single into left field to score Charles and take a one-run lead. McNally was not the only one to run into some trouble in the ninth. Kuzman also had a bit of a bumpy go, getting the first two outs with ease before walking the next two batters to bring up the heavy-hitting Brooks Robinson. Not wanting to test it, and probably much to Kuzman's chagrin, Hodges replaced Kuzman with Ron Taylor, and that proved to be a great decision because Taylor promptly got Robinson to ground out to third base, and that was it. The series was even at game, at one-to-one. The third game of the World Series swung to New York with the first game at Shea Stadium. This one was all New York, as the team scored three runs in the first two innings to grab an early lead against the Orioles' Jim Palmer, another great pitcher. Gary Gentry drew the start for the Mets and blanked Baltimore through six and two-thirds innings, scattering just three hits. Nolan Ryan then came on in relief and allowed only one hit for his two-inning save. Two and a third inning save, actually, excuse me. Meanwhile, the Mets poured on a couple more runs late, including an Ed Cranepool home run to take the game 5-0. to zero. And the series lead. A rematch of game one, Tom Seaver and Mike Cuellar took the hill again for game four, which is really awesome because these pitchers were on three days rest at this time. And usually now pitchers pitch every five days. So that means you have four, four days rest. So these guys were both on short rest and didn't phase them at all. They both looked like Cy Young winners all day long. New York took the lead in the second on a rare home run, again by Don Clendenin, and that would put a lid on scoring for either side for the next six innings. Seaver locked down the Orioles' offense, allowing just three hits through eight innings. In the ninth inning, Seaver trotted back out to the mound and after a quick fly ball out, gave up back-to-back singles. And then, unfortunately, a Brooks Robinson sacrifice fly that tied the game at 1-1 to and forced extra innings. Refusing to be beaten, Seaver went back out for the 10th inning. An error let the lead leadoff man on and down to two outs, the Orioles had runners on first and third. 
no problem for Tom Terrific, or Terrific Tom, as he struck out Paul Blair to end the threat and end the inning. Cuellar was lifted in the eighth, replaced by Eddie Watt and then Dick Hall for the bottom of the 10th inning. Jerry Grote for the Mets blooped a double into short left field to put the winning run in scoring position. Al Weiss was then intentionally walked to bring up J.C. Martin and elicit another Baltimore pitching change. With pinch runner Rod Gasper standing on second, Martin stepped in the box in place of Seaver, who he was pinch hitting for, to face Pete Reichert. With no outs, Martin laid down a bunt to try and move the runners over from first and second to second and third. Reichert, the pitcher, ran to field it and overthrew first base. Gasper, who was already on his way to third, saw the airmailed throw and scored the winning run with ease to put the Mets just one win away from clinching the World Series. The fifth game of the World Series was set for October 16th, again in Shea Stadium, with Jerry Kuzman and Dave McNally facing off in the potential game, final game, in front of a packed house of over 57,000 fans. The Orioles were the first to push runs across, scoring three in the top of the third inning off home runs from Dave McNally and Frank Robinson. Outside of that inning, Kuzman was nearly perfect, giving up just two more hits across the other eight innings that he pitched. On the other side, McNally was on his game. He was dealing, allowing just one hit through the first five innings. Down 0-3, Don Clendenin nearly got it all back with one swing, putting a ball over the left field fence to plate two runs. And just one inning later, Al Weiss made it a brand new ball game with a solo home run to tie the contest up 3-3. Three to three. Facing the heart of the order, the Orioles decided to pull McNally and give the ball to Eddie Watt for the eighth inning. Shortly after, Cleon Jones led off the inning with a double. Two batters later, Ron Swoboda doubled himself, bringing Jones around to score and giving the Mets their first lead of the night. Two batters later, an error from each of the Baltimore first baseman and pitcher allowed Swoboda to score from second and give New York an insurance run. Now with the lead, Kuzman made his way to the mound, needing just three outs from the heart of the slugging Orioles order to make the New York Mets World Series champions. To lead off the inning, Kuzman walked Frank Robinson. The Mets got their first out on a ground ball by Boog Powell, the next batter, 
that allowed New York to get Robinson, the lead runner, at second. Next up was the other Robinson, Brooks Robinson, who flew out to right field. Down to their final out, with one man on base, the Orioles sent Davey Johnson to the plate. Johnson made contact with the pitch, sending a lazy fly ball to left field. Cleon Jones got under it and squeezed the ball to make the final out. The New York Mets were the 1969 World Series champions. The Miracle Mets, or the Amazing Mets, I personally prefer the Miracle Mets because of the alliteration. The Amazing Mets was come up with, from what I could tell, by Casey Stengel, who was just a terrible manager for the Mets. So we're going to go with Miracle Mets. Are They were one of the most impressive stories in the history of sports. The team went from fighting not to be last in the league to downing the powerhouse Baltimore Orioles with ease to win the World Series four games to one. It's a true testament to what a group can do when they truly believe in one another and a couple of things fall in their favor. Once the final out was made, the fans once again poured out of the stands in glee, just like they did in the division series or the last game of the season, excuse me. They cheered, they stole bases and turf again to remember the momentous occasion. The New York Mets were finally winners. And not only that, they were World Series champions. An awesome story. And one of many that I truly wish I was alive to see. And that's it for this one. We hope you learned something. Hopefully baseball is growing on you a little bit if you don't like it already. And uh, look forward to hopefully having you around next time. And until that next time, stay safe, everybody. And remember that Jesus loves you. Thanks for listening. Check out more content from the Saints Sports Network at saintsportsnetwork.home.blog.